I imagine the people who love you the most, the, certainly the people who love me the most, are the people that I am most um, uh, like fully myself with, the people that, that know the things that I like and don't like, who know how to annoy me, who know how to make me happy, who know, you know, like who don't think I'm a pushover who's down for anything, anytime. Like the people who love you the deepest are the people who know you the best. So it feels so, it, it feels so counterintuitive to go like, I'm going to get this person to love me by being the least specific. Like it just makes no sense, but it's so deep in there. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Undefined and Happy New Year. I am sitting in Big Bear with Jordan, who was featured on episode six, I believe, of my pod. And we celebrated the new year in San Diego, and now we're sitting in an awesome A-frame house looking at the mountains. Um, And I am so excited to share my conversation with Haley Jean Penner, who is a singer, songwriter, and author of the book People You Follow, which is her memoir. And Lena Dunham says that it's a journey down the rabbit hole of LA's most subtly toxic industry, funny, brilliant, coy, playful, and wise, which is very true. It's an awesome read. I recommend it to everyone, and I will link it in the show notes. And Haley and I talk about many topics. She's very wise. Some of them include pretending to be someone else and putting on an act, which is something that I totally resonate with accessing your value as a partner, expressing anger, being the cool girl, having gratitude for all of life's experiences, reframing failure and how we all define success and how you define that for yourself, and also what comes in when you create space in your life. So I'm very excited to share this conversation. It's one that I was super happy to record and I hope that you all enjoy it. I do want to feature Jordan in my little intro, and we were talking yesterday on our way up to Big Bear about words that we want to embody, like words and feelings that we want to embody in 2021. So I will share mine and I'll have Jordan share hers. Mine are free spiritedness, which according to my spell check, spiritedness is not a word, but I'm going to create it. Presence exploration, return to self, continuing on my train of transparency, being in nature and lots of expansive places with a million trees. Those are mine. And here's Jordan's. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. Thanks, Marissa, for letting me crash this intro. Uh, I think for me, the word I really want to embody and spend my time thinking about in this coming year is being present super hard for me. I tend to think a lot about the past and a lot about the future. I have a very vivid imagination um, and I really think that being more present will help me feel happier, more connected, uh, more in touch with the world, as hard and uncomfortable as it can be sometimes. Um, And I really feel like that's what 2020 sort of led me to, as hard and terrible as it was. Um, I think it did force a lot of people to slow down a little bit and kind of focus on what matters sort of in the moment. Awesome. Thank you, Jordan. Also, I wanted to thank Maytov, who is my brother's wonderful girlfriend, for setting up this interview with Haley for me. Um, Yeah, thanks, Maytov. It's awesome. And I'm just happy that the connection was able to be made. So, Thank you to everyone listening. I will talk to you all at the end, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, Thank you so much for doing this, by the way. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so excited, and I loved your book. Yay, thank you. Anyway, um, how are you? I'm great. I'm really good. I'm uh, I'm in Winnipeg. I've been here since March, um, just sort of hibernating with my family, and it's been... It's been great, actually. I know. I kind of feel the same way that hibernating with my family has been great. Like, surprisingly, I feel like so many people are having, well, maybe not surprisingly, but so many people are having such challenges being with their family all the time. And I feel Mm. very positive about my experience, which is awesome. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real gift. Are you planning to come back to LA soon? 
I am. I'm I'm planning to come back in January, although I'm I'm just sort of like renting a room in a friend's home because I can't really imagine like getting a new um like lease and you know paying for internet again and yeah. just like setting up a whole life in LA. Like I don't feel I don't feel ready to commit to Los Angeles in that way at this point. But I do want to have like a a space there that's mine that is always available to me. And I feel like a room in a home is is my non-committal way of committing. <laughs> I know it's so hard to plan things that are just the world is so uncertain. Yeah, exactly. Theoretically, I mean, we could work from anywhere. So it's not Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're tied to LA. Yeah, that's the big thing really is like, am I really going to move back to California to have my work look exactly the same only without my family five minutes away? It's just, you know, I'm playing with it. I'm playing with it in my head. Totally. Is your whole family in your house now? Because you have two sisters and a brother? I have two sisters and a brother. So I'm actually living, I've been living alone since March because my dad has a home in Winnipeg and also in um, Vancouver on Vancouver Island. And it just sort of worked out that he was heading to Vancouver Island, um, you know, when I was still planning on going back to LA. So I was going to just have a few nights in my dad's place before going back. And then everything got crazy and I just decided to stay. So I've had this beautiful home to myself um, you know, since March and my sister, one of my sisters is a 10 minute walk away. The other one is a 10 minute drive away. My brother is 10 minute drive away. My mom is like, so it's just, they're, they're so close and I still have my sort of privacy and space and, and um, yeah, so it's been really, really perfect. That's awesome. Is this the house that you grew up in? No. So that house we sold or they sold, we, I had nothing to do with it. Um, like family. my family's home was sold, I think almost 10 years ago at this point. So yeah, we, we, we've been out of that place for, for a minute. And my dad has this beautiful condo in, in Osborne village, which is a, a lovely neighborhood in, in Winnipeg. And, uh, I've been here. That's so nice. Yeah. I would love to start kind of, I mean, along the same lines as what we were just talking about, but being in Winnipeg, which is where you grew up. And I mean, your book basically is like a journey of your own self-love development. And so much of that comes from how you grew up and where you grew up. Has it been like, how has the fact that you've been there through this book launch changed the experience of it? I mean, I, I think it's kind of perfect. Like, you know, obviously if I had planned it, I wouldn't have planned like a worldwide pandemic but I may have, no. yeah, I know it's, it's, um, surprising, but, uh, but I may have, uh, like, I'm very glad I'm here with my family in this time because it's so, um, you know, I'm just talking about every part of my life and to be in kind of the safest possible environment, I think is, is just makes me feel very nourished and safe and, And, you know, like my mom brings over food for me and I can go for walks with my sisters and I feel totally accepted and loved. And, and not that I don't feel those things in Los Angeles, but it's just a different sort of thing when it's your, the people who have known you forever and no one will ever love you as much as they do. And so I'm really grateful to be in like the most warm, nourishing womb-like environment for the launch of such a, such a vulnerable, honest piece of work. It's so vulnerable and so honest, and I appreciate it so much. And for everybody listening, it's called People You Follow. And I'll also, obviously, link it in the show notes and talk about it in my little intro and outro. But I really appreciated the honesty, and I really resonated with so much of what you were talking about. Just, I mean, there were three things that I really wanted to talk about because they, like, especially resonated. Um, But first, I... I feel like I've had a similar experience in terms of feeling nourished during quarantine. And like, I went through a major breakup at the beginning of February. Oh, wow. Luckily, like before the world shut down, but I moved into my parents' house at the beginning of March. And it was really the first time when I started to do all of this, like work on myself, just very intentionally Mm -hmm. and being at home Although of course it like brings up all of the shadow things, but 
being at home, it was nourishing. And I think that it, it like helped create a space where I felt safe to do all of this work. So I'm like deeply appreciative of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally, I totally get that. It is, it is, if, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to have a family, like, you know, that you feel safe and supported by, it's like the best, it's just the best. Yeah, I know. Definitely. And of course, like I recognize, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs where we can't achieve self-actualization until our basic needs are met. And mm. I feel incredibly fortunate to have my basic needs met and oh just gosh, totally. like so many people, especially during this pandemic, that's been highlighted, but so many people don't have that. Yeah. So, okay. Now to the parts of your book that I deeply resonated with. So the first thing was how you talked about putting on an act and there's one scene, I guess I could call it where you say, I'm sitting outside quietly co- collecting myself though, not myself. Really. I'm kind of getting into character. And I feel like that's like my life in a nutshell, like yeah. putting on this persona of who I should be. Mm-hmm. Right. And how did you like, can you tell me about the moment when you realized that that wasn't you and that you were putting on that act? Yeah. I mean, I, I do feel like that was most of my relationships for most of my life was, was feeling like, feeling like I had to be something other than what I was in order to have a person continue to love me or continue to like me even, or continue to even be willing to let me hurl my love in their direction. You know, like so many of my memories are not of me being like my full realized self. They're of me trying to accommodate to a person that, you know, the end of the day, I'm probably just not that compatible with. I'm so desperate to like make it work and to like show them that I can do it and that I'm worthy that it, it is this sort of performance where I'm like, well, don't, don't tell them you don't like that. Or don't, don't tell them you want to do that. And you don't want to do that because then you, then you're like closing off things that he may like and making yourself a less desirable partner, you know, and it's taken me really until now to realize that like, boundaries and preferences and things, you know, make you a person and don't make you less desirable. They just, just make you a person. Like you're not, you're not a real person. If you don't have stuff you like and dislike and express that, you know, you're just kind of uh, a mirror of them and that doesn't work. Definitely for me. I saw this. Do you know what the pattern is? I don't think so. Okay. It's this app that you have to download that is like, so it's like an astrology thing, but it's like creepily on point all the time and it'll send you little updates. And I saw this thing they posted on their Instagram maybe like a month ago. And I don't know where they got it from, but it was a billboard that said, stop trying to make everyone like you. You don't even like any- everyone. Yeah. yeah that's good. <laughs> Which is just like so true. <laughs> like, why do we have the tendency to... Because it goes beyond romantic relationships, right? It's like with friends, even sometimes with family, I've noticed myself tailoring what I say or what I do and certain choices I make to have some sort of like approval or validation. Yeah. And like, why do we do that? Do you think that it's just a natural human tendency to want to be part of the group? Um, I mean, I think... That's one of the parts that I've really that I've really struggled with personally forever because because I I think I I fool people into thinking that I'm not the way that I am romantically because I have such clear boundaries professionally and with friends and it's it's like easy for friends to cross a line and for me to be like express that like i don't i don't struggle in that same way with um just friendship relationships or family like i i find it very easy to be fully uh, um you know complex complexly myself 
Um, but then I, I, I have struggled massively, um, romantically and I, and, and I don't know, I don't know why I've, I've been able to do that with my friendships and family and not romantically with, with as much ease. I, I would imagine in part, it's like my own relationship to self that, that somewhere in there, I think I have value as a friend or sibling, or mm-hmm. I can more easily access my value as, as a sister and, and a friend and right. have right. struggled. Yeah. And have struggled to find it as, um, as a, as a girlfriend or to find my value as a girlfriend or partner or, or whatever in, in that sense. Interesting. Do you think that was modeled for you in any way by anyone? In your I mean, life? I think so. I, I mean, I even, I even talk about it in the book about just talking about my parents and, and, um, you know, I think, you know, marriages are complex and I don't, I don't begin to, to really know what it's like to be with a person for 30 years and have to sort of navigate parenting and also, you know, being a romantic partner to someone that you're now very much a business partner with and, and, you know, the ways that that would tear at each one. And, and, um, you know, I think I really struggled in a lot of ways watching my mother get, get more and more sort of hurt and, and seeing that sort of translate into her own anger and then, me kind of deciding that angry. And I think this is also, um, kind of a core theme in the book is that like, it's taken me so long to realize that I can be, that I can express my anger and that that doesn't make me any less of like a desirable woman or partner or, or whatever, because I did have this idea in my head that to be an, an angry woman is ugly Totally. You know, and that, that's like societal too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. It's, it's, uh, yeah, because you do, I mean, it's almost like a, you, it's so ingrained that you want to be like the cool girl and you want to right. be like down and fine with anything and, and, and like good. And you can talk through stuff and you're, you're just cool. You're just cool with stuff. And you don't want to be the one who's like, you know, there's this whole, you know, the idea of like a woman being, uh, um, high maintenance is like this thing. And you, right. you hear it growing up and you're like, well, I, I don't want to be high maintenance. I want to be like the cool girl that yeah, easy going, laid back. Yeah. Like I hang out with, I have more guy friends than I have girlfriends, you know, and you're just like the cool one. And that's, it's just nonsense. You know, it's just, totally. it's, it's misleading. It's interesting. You talk about anger specifically. I I've struggled with that where I think in my house growing up, like negative emotions weren't it wasn't really modeled for us to have negative emotions. Mm. So I never really learned how to express them. Yeah. And I always felt like when I felt, when I would suppress those negative emotions and then eventually as it does, you know, it would boil over and then I would, there would be some sort of explosion that would manifest itself in anger. But part of the fear of allowing myself to feel came from this, idea that I don't know where it came from, that if I did feel, I would completely lose control. Mm-hmm. And it would be like an explosion that never ended. Yeah. Right. So it's been interesting to, when you allow yourself to feel and you allow the feelings to move through you, mm-hmm. they don't last forever. No, no. I, I mean, I think they last much longer when you when you let them like fester and bury them in and never express them. Totally. You know, and they, then they're just like cancerous. Then they're awful. They just, they just, you know, they're awful. They're like hernias. Yeah, seriously. And they could explode. I mean, hernias, I think can explode. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I mean, know. There's the danger of them, right? <laughs> so that was a good metaphor. Oh, good. Good. Oh, good. <laughs> there is one part in your book where you talk about being freed to feel and you say, when I'm not trying to get something from someone, when I'm not trying to shape myself into something I think I might suit someone, I make space to feel everything I've been trying not to feel. Mm-hmm. And, and that idea of space where almost like we have a finite amount of space and we get to decide what to fill it with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that, um, I really feel that so, so much that, yeah, that idea that like when you stop, having a motive, then you are sort of free to do whatever. Because if, if, if my goal isn't 
anything. If my goal isn't like make sure this guy continues to love me or or like even just, you know, I want this guy to continue picking up the phone or to not ignore me or to not ghost me or whatever it is. When you remove all of that and go like, okay, well, I'm just going to say what I feel and let the chips fall where they may then you, then you are sort of free. You can kind of say whatever you want. Like if you don't care about the outcome, totally. And you don't have a motive, then you are just sort of like, all right, well, I'm just going to listen to my, my body and say the thing I'm feeling. And let's, let's see how this goes down. Right. And if that's not accepted, then, then that's know, fine. Yeah. Because you're being yourself. Totally. And you wouldn't want to surround yourself with someone who doesn't appreciate you for being yourself. Totally. It is so funny. It feels so backwards because like, I think we all have examples of, of like the opposite being true where it's like, really, I I imagine the people who love you the most, certainly the people who love me the most are the people that I am most um, uh, like fully myself with the people that, that know the things that I like and don't like, who know how to annoy me, who know how to make me happy, who know, you know, like who don't think I'm a pushover who's down for anything, anytime. Like the people right. who love you the deepest are the people who know you the best. Totally. So it feels so, it, it feels so counterintuitive to go like, I'm going to get this person to love me by being the least specific. It just makes no sense, but it's so deep in there. (laughs) Yes, totally. How does that, you mentioned it showing up in your body. Like, how does that show up? What do you feel? Oh man. I mean, I I feel like there, there've been times in my life, like even last year I was struck, not last year, year before last, God, I mean, it's kind of nice that it wasn't (laughs) just like, what is time anymore? There was a time in the past, several. Exactly. Time is an illusion. Um, you know, where it does sort of, it, it, it manifests in your body in strange ways. Like I got very, very sick for a whole year, just like random. I would just keep getting colds or, you know, I was like really nauseous for a whole, like it just hides in places. If you're not, if you're not expressing it because it, it has to go somewhere. And if you're not talking about it, and cause it, cause then it also like spills over into, there's no way you're nourishing your body properly. There's no way you're eating properly. If you're, you know, if you're not, um, health, like just health kind of, you know, it's like starts in the head and then to the body and then exercise and then all the things, or at least for me, it's like a, a domino effect. If I'm not taking care of one thing, the odds are I'm kind of not taking care of anything. Yeah, totally. How has it shown up for you recently now that you're, I don't want to say, you know, like it's, it's a journey, self-love and self-acceptance. And it's like a lifelong process, but now that you're more aware of how these situations play out and it seems like, you know, you're just very introspective. So now that you're at that stage in the process, how does it play out? I mean, now it sort of plays out in a way that if there's, if, if there's even, I'm just sort of like quicker about it that if if I have um if I have to like lie about something or if I have the opportunity to lie about something or if I have some sort of conflict it just comes to the surface so quickly like I I don't I feel like I don't have the capacity to like bury things to this in in the same way that I did yeah. um like I just, I just, they move through me faster. So it's not that they don't, that I don't have the same, um, uh, like my body doesn't react the same way and it doesn't have the same instinct to like go tuck somewhere, but I think I'm just quicker to like notice it and then just express it because it's just, it continues to be the most healthy way for me to get through anything is to just like get it out, just discuss it or whatever, to not sit on things. Totally. Do you find that you get it out more so by discussing or do you like, I have a tendency to intellectualize my feelings like too much. So Mm. I, so I try to like get in my body and like express it through my body more. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Curious how that is for you. Yeah. I think I do. I I end up being very like, I want to discuss things. Like I'm I, I feel like most days of my life are some amount of a therapy session with somebody. Right. And I'm, and I sort of love it. Like, 
like I'm in a relationship now and he's wonderful. And we just talk so often, like both of us about if either of us has any sort of issue at all, or if like, like my sister sort of jokes about it. She's like, no, I've never seen two people communicate as well as you communicate. Because I think we both just like, if anything happens, if it's like, you know, this just happened this morning and it made me feel a certain way. We'll like discuss it for two hours and it'll end up leading to like, why does that, why does that thing come from there? <laughs> In what ways does that, blah, blah, blah. Anyways. So I think I, I, I really benefit from, from discussing things like, really deeply discussing things. Um, cause I just get, you know, I just learn so much. And then it also in discussing things, it moves through your own, your own, like, or my own feelings about it. And I end up learning something like totally. learning something about the person and their experience and, 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 and myself totally. And, um, then and it's really, the mirror. Totally. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's really helpful. Do you have an example of how that mirror, how every relationship is a mirror, like how that's shown up for you? I guess one example recently and then one from the past that you've been able to reflect on more recently. Ooh, there's so many ways. I mean, I really think everything, everything is really is kind of a mirror. I mean, I don't actually know if this is the, this is the, um, is going to even answer the question, but it's the thing that I thought of when thinking That's about perfect. mirrors. Because I've been thinking about a lot of, uh, I, I feel like this year has been like a long opportunity for me to um, offer myself like more compassion and empathy and love for myself just getting to LA and getting into the sort of awful situation I was in. Yeah. Um, and And I had a thing happen recently where, the guy in the book, Tal, um, mm-hmm. through, through like a couple of different sources, I know now that he has the book. Like he has the book. Oh, wow. People have been telling him about this book. Like it's gotten to him. He hasn't reached out, but, but it's gotten to him. And, and sort of the thing he was saying to our shared source was like, everybody, is, everybody knows Haley is crazy. And it's like that same sort of like, she's nuts. She's totally. lying. All this almost. Completely. And- and it really offered me a, a really f- interesting mirror because because what I realized was the group of people who are calling me crazy are the only people that I had nearby who were watching it all happen hmm. you know while I was in it so it was just this 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 reminder of just how kind of locked in a situation I was when the people nearest to me didn't, couldn't have helped me out of it. So it was just sort of a, a, an odd, like, I don't even think that was the answer to your question at all, but, but just like a new perspective that I, that I didn't quite realize. Like I sort of thought I did have a way out at that point and, and being reminded at this point that like I didn't was a very illuminating piece of information. It almost allows you to forgive yourself. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I experienced that in my last relationship and I was, we were together for six years and people in my life, you know, tried to talk to me about how it wasn't right. But Mm -hmm. in a sense it, I had to, you know, ended on my own time in my own time. Wow. And like nothing, nothing that anybody said could have changed that process. Oh yeah. And, and and I do think that's like, that's one of the hardest things. And I've, I've had so many conversations with friends, like even with the, with the guy in the book that I called Ducky, where mm-hmm. he's like, he, he, I think, I think a lot of people who are really close to me at that point feel a lot of like, could I have done more? Should I have done more? And that's kind of my answer every time is like, I was not ready right. to, you know, like people tried and and I tried to get myself out of that situation a lot of times, like several times. Right. But the truth is like, there was nothing, nobody could have saved me from that environment before I was ready to save myself. No. Just and not- also like to look back on the experience with a lot of gratitude. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't be where you are now without that experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would be somewhere else and who knows what that other place would look like, but oh. Like I try to look back at all of my life experiences and spin them, you know, even if they're 
quote unquote negative experiences, spin Mm -hmm. them with a sense of gratitude because I wouldn't be where I am. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And, and, and really that's sort of the, you know, at the end of the book, I really, I sat for, you know, for a while going like, what is this thing I want to say to my 14 year old self? And it did sort of end up being that, that like, I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for all of my heartbreaks. I'm grateful for my, all my experiences for all the pain because, because I'm happy now and, you know, in making, making peace with, or being happy now, um, sort of means making peace with everything that's happened because it is all so informative. Totally. Rather than like, I'll be happy when. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I was just talking with my best friend, Jordan, about forgiveness. And we were talking about it in the context of forgiving someone else, but Mm. about how it's, at least this is the conclusion that I came to in our conversation. And I know that I still have to like work through this thought more, but it's almost like to forgive somebody is a combination of gratitude and compassion for their situation. Mm-hmm. And I think now that we're talking, I'm realizing that that can be applied to yourself. Oh my goodness. Definitely. I I think that's a huge part of it. Like compassion is such a massive part of forgiveness and in just understanding that, you know, it's, it's complicated. Like there's only so much that you can understand about a situation a person's in and, and, you know, to that same degree with yourself, like you're learning more and more about your own experiences as you grow and learn more and, and, you know, become wiser and, and gains a skill set to be able to look back on your own life with some more, you know, knowledge or experience. Yeah, totally. And on the subject of compassion too, I also wanted to talk about just body image and an eating disorder. I've struggled with disordered eating, I would call it, Mm -hmm. um, and like major body image issues. And I think self-compassion is such a huge part of that recovery process. Yeah. And I'd love to hear how that shows up for you and how you show yourself compassion now. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I show myself, how do I, how do I, I'm going to really, how do I show myself compassion? I mean, I think my sort of turning point with food became, became, you know, when I started really caring about cooking Mm -hmm. and like putting effort into cooking and, and like enjoying cooking, enjoying cooking for people I love. Um, and then also just my, when my relationship to exercise became less, um, less surrounded, less based on thinning out and more based on being strong. Like that changed a lot too. Like I started doing, I started doing like a bunch of different martial arts about 10 years ago. Oh, even more like 12 years ago, I started doing, um, Krav Maga. That's awesome. I did that in college. Say that again. I did that in college. Oh really? I I boxed in high school. Oh my God. Amazing. Um, it's just the most fun and it kind of changed, it kind of changed the way I saw my body because, you know, being emaciated wasn't, wasn't like a strength. If if you're doing, if you're like trying to carry a man on your back, (laughs) do laps and squats around a room. So it, you know, yeah, it would not. So in, in kind of in changing my, what I, what I was trying to accomplish and because I'm, I'm competitive too, like I want, I want to excel at the things I'm doing. So when I started getting into martial arts, it, it, it changed the, the type of body I was trying to build, you know, and that's, that really helped. That helped me in, in a, in a big way. It's also a confidence booster to oh, know that you can like beat someone up. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I know recently I've been running more just, you know, in an effort to get outside. Yeah. I used to pressure myself to, and I'm not very fast, but I used to pressure myself. Like I need to get faster. I need to run X amount. And now I try to have fun with it. And I view it now as like, I do a lot of photography. So like, Ooh, this will be a photo expedition. And I always like end up stopping and just walking and like taking a photo. And I think that that reframe has helped 
just like make exercise more fun and less punitive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that sounds like so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, like I run like a good portion of it, but I'm not like stressing out about the fact that I'm stopping to take a photo. Yeah. I would have been stressing about it. I would have felt guilty about it after. And I would have put myself down, which then is counterproductive to the stress relief that exercise actually is. Totally. I've definitely felt the same way at, at points in my life with running, like, you know, it's like, it was only worth it if I didn't stop once. Right. (laughs) Then it's like not a run. Yeah. Then it's not a run. Like if you, if I stop at a light, even, you know, I failed, I failed my run. (laughs) Totally. Have you just speaking of failure? Cause that's something that I have struggled with that like shadow aspect of being a failure. Mm. Has that come up for you? I am sort of, um, I guess it hasn't, but it hasn't because I think I'm so stubbornly, like I so stubbornly refuse to see failure as any sort of possibility ever. Like I can't, I will not engage with a picture of my life that, that includes that word. I'm constantly trying to like reshape my current life to feel like a a success. Um, But I do, I, I do think that is also like, learned and, and practiced because I definitely felt at the beginning of, of like my life in, in California that like, if I didn't have a number one on billboard, I was a failure. Like I wasn't winning, you know, like I wasn't getting a hit and I wasn't winning and I wasn't a big songwriter and all these things. And now I've just like in the last few years and putting out my own music and this, with this book, with, with um, sort of leaving that camp, that that camp that I write about, and yeah. and kind of reshaping my independence, I just see it entirely differently now. Because now, you know, I, I I put out my own music and independently, and now when I see, you know, even if like a thousand people have heard a thing, I'm like, that's a thousand people. If I think about a thousand people in a room, that is insane. Totally. Like an insane number of people, you know. And we all have these like. Spotify, you know, artist app on your phone. And sometimes I'll flip through it and I'm like three people in Switzerland are listening to a song I wrote in my living room right now. And that's, that blows my mind. That's That's like how I feel about my podcast sometimes, (laughs) which is like a very new venture for me. It's amazing. I only put out five episodes, but I look at the stats. I actually looked at them today and I think there were like 20 people in India and there was someone wow. in Saudi Arabia that listened. Wow. Just, I'm like, which episode did you listen to? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you want to have like personal conversations with all of them, which is amazing. Right. That's so cool. And that's so cool that that's like your livelihood. Like that, that is, it's like you see that every day. Yeah, it's cool. Um, it's really, it's really nourishing, deeply nourishing. Yeah, I'm sure it provides a lot of motivation to know yeah. just how much impact you have. Yeah, definitely. And and also to not like, to not let myself think that more people means more impact necessarily. You know, if I, if I impact one person in a profound way, like that is profound, that is amazing to me. So, so I really try to, um, aggressively, um, feed myself a picture of myself that is successful. That is like a success at what I do and living my life and, and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's interesting because it sounds like in the past it was, there was like this avoidance of failure, which is the same for me. It's like the idea of what success is that the idea probably doesn't even belong to us. Like we probably didn't even define what that means. And it's just based on all these external factors that society has defined for us. Totally. And then as we learn more about ourselves we're able to define that for ourselves, which is yeah. what this podcast is about. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so true. And I, I think that's a big thing too, is like when I, it took me a really long time to admit to myself that I'm, that I'm a, a songwriter, I'm a singer that doesn't want to go on tour. Like right. I don't want to go, I don't want to be on tour for two years straight. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a thing I want to do. I don't want to do, you know, three hour long Springsteen concerts every night. I don't want to do a dozen you know, encores, 
but yeah. there's like this picture in my head that like, okay, but success, successful artists do that, you know? Right. And it took yeah. me a long time to go like, well, no, the, that's not the type of artist I am. The type of artist I am, so I want to do, you know, like maybe if I'm going on a couple week tour, but to be honest, my ideal show is like a, like a soft seater, everybody's quiet, sitting in their seats. I play for an hour. I do one encore. Everybody goes home and is in bed by 10. Lovely. Great. I'm like, (laughs) great. (laughs) So how did you figure that out? Because that's really hard to untangle that definition of success from whatever profession you're in. Yeah. Um, I think it shifted a lot in so I was signed. I was signed to Universal in Toronto um, for myself as an artist, and uh, this was several years ago at this point. And I was making like like pop music, still still stuff that I, I was standing behind, and I was working with an incredible producer that I that I still love, and even the team was great. But it was like I, w- I was there was just sort of a disconnect, and I was like, what does this music's concert look like? Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel right. Like I did a few shows with a full band and I never felt comfy on stage. I never felt like this is, this is what I want to do. I was never excited about those shows. Like it just, yeah. it just sort of took me going like, I love performing. Why don't I like this? You right. know, to realize like, oh, okay. And then once that, once that relationship ended, like once I left, universal and, and just started writing these like fully folk songs, like folk pop songs, um, you know, that, that I could sort of picture a show that, that I would love to do, which is like me on a stool talking, like talking about what these songs are about and then singing them. And then, and I also think that in many ways, like led me to writing a book in the first place that I'm so happy on stage, just like telling stories that then lead into a song. So it seems, um, you know, sort of like I was kind of setting myself up to then write an album that is, that is literally about the book. Um, and the book is literally about the album and just have them, you know, feed into each other. Can, can you tell a story and then sing a song? <laughs> Right now, do you have your guitar next to you? Uh, no, I don't. It's okay. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I thought you were setting yourself up for that one. Oh yeah, I know. It kind of did. It's like it's so funny when uh, you know, like if if somebody's on a on a talk show and they're like, they're just like talking about how they do a great Scottish accent or something. It's like <laughs> what what chance do they have? Obviously, the host is going to be like, "Well, go ahead." Right. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm not going to do it now. Yeah, of course. So I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Do you think that the time that you, like your process in starting to realize that it didn't feel aligned with you to, you know, be on tour and do shows every night, did uh-huh. that correspond with just your own self-growth and like your awareness of yourself? Yeah, definitely. It definitely did. And I mean, it all sort of, it all sort of happened in me leaving that camp um, Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden I was like, I felt free to, you know, write a different kind of music and not feel like, not feel like I was doing it for the approval of, of somebody. Like I have so many emails, you know, from that time of me just sort of, and I, I do think like in part, it, it's just the nature of being like a student, quote unquote, or in a camp like that, where you are going like, well, is this good? Is this good? Am I good yet? Is this good? Um, but that's a really, it's a dangerous, it's dangerous power to give somebody right. because just because someone's doing something has, has been doing something longer than you doesn't necessarily mean that they know what's, what's best for you or how, how, you know, how to help you get to where you want to go. And so I think in me stepping away from that camp and just starting to write songs that I felt like I could just stamp the stamp of approval on by myself sort of started freeing me up to, to start like wielding that approval stamp, you know, as I saw fit rather than like passing it over and waiting till somebody else gave it to me. And that, and that was incredibly, incredibly freeing in, in every way. Totally. And like, talking about space and opening up space for that. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I needed to. There was there was no it's it's funny actually. It's like one of my favorite Maytov quotes. Um, <laughs> and for the viewers, Maytov is my manager. Um my one of my girlfriend. <laughs> your brother's girlfriend. Uh it's all in the family here. Family. We're basically yeah. quarantined together. Yeah, basically. Um so Maytov said to me, uh so she met me a, a long time ago when I was still in that camp, and I have no memory of it. I have no memory of meeting her none whatsoever, which is odd because she is a memorable human being. Um, and, and then when I met her again recently, I guess like a few years ago at this point, when we started working together, I remember her saying, um, you know, uh, I met, you know, we met so long ago and I was like, I don't remember at all. I wish we had been, we had been, you know, friends then or something. And she was like, I just didn't see an opening. She was like, Mm -hmm. I didn't see, there was no room. Like I did not see an opening to make to make real contact with you because there was none, like there was no space to sort of infiltrate that, 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 that space I was in, like that emotional mental space I was in. There was no room for anybody new to be like, look over here. I just had, I, I had, I, I had none. That's so interesting. And I resonate with that so much. Did you notice right after you left the camp and opened up space for yourself and felt that sense of freedom, what came in to fill it? Like, was anything, did anything surprise you? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty quickly. It sort of happens kind of at the same time, sort of in tandem with, with leaving the camp that I met, uh, Maytov and then, and then immediately met, um, Lulu, who's my attorney, Um, so it just sort of like, as I was shifting out of this boys club, Mm -hmm. I was just like these two badass women just like landed in front of me and, and just started shifting my life in this really, in this really incredible way where all of a sudden I had all, I had like women around me and I, I just didn't before then, like I just didn't have kind of any. And, and, um, one of the women that was in the camp, sort of, you know, the, the old camp with me, I I've recently spoken to her again and we were never friends at that point. And she sort of said the same thing where she was like, I think we were quite strategically separated. Like we were not, our, our friendship was not nourished or supported because, you know, I think there was like an understanding that like that wasn't really good for the company necessarily right. would strengthen you. Exactly. That sort of keeping us separate was actually beneficial. Right. You know? And, and um, you know, whether that was, that was uh, uh, conscious or not, I think, I think it very much happens this sort of separating of, of the women in the group because yeah, because we're sort of, I don't know. We'll yeah. Take over. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and also just to go back to that, the feeling of freedom mm-hmm. and it's so liberating. Mm-hmm. And especially right after there is a period of time where it's almost like you're high. Oh yeah. And how have you, cause then, you know, it settles down and you kind of get back to, to what your life is going to look like right. here on out. How do you integrate that feeling of freedom and make sure that you, you still have those moments. Yeah. I mean, it was such a, um, I I do, I I do still feel tremendously grateful and aware of my, you know, freedom. And it was such a high for so long, um, in in a way that was like anticlimactic, like in a way that was sort of the opposite of what I had, what I just had left, which was a sort of like high pain, high panic, high pressure, like very heightened feelings all the time. And my freedom sort of came in the form of like moving into my own place for the first time in LA, Mm -hmm. living by myself for the first time, um, starting to write in this very private, quiet, not telling anybody what I'm working on way for like two years. I went on like a bunch of trips to Canada on my own. You know, my life got really, really small and, and insulated, um, out of this, out of this place that was really, really heightened. And, and so I think I'm really grateful for that because now the only place I need to go to feel free is like 
in. I only need to need to notice that I have like the freedom to sit and write a thing in a beautiful space, you know, surrounded by my family to feel incredibly free um, and incredibly grateful for that. And that's such a beautiful image that to expand, you have to go inward. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was no, there was no road to expansion that was, that was outward for me by any means for a long time. Right. Especially because so much of yourself and your self-worth was defined by just like external validation. Yes, definitely. Definitely. How do you validate yourself now? Like what practices do you have? Um, practices. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's less about me validating myself and more, or I guess, I guess I validate myself by just by doing the things that I love to do. Like it's, it's less that I'm, that I'm looking for a certain external validation and just that I feel, um, grateful that I'm able to do the thing that I'm doing. And I feel, I feel, um, validated when I pick up my guitar for 10 minutes, you know, like when I, when I write like a line that I love or when I respect that I don't feel like writing today and then do that and then not write, you know what I mean? Just my validation comes from feeling like I I now know how to listen to what my body wants and then do that, you know, do that thing and not, not, uh, uh, defiantly do the opposite of what my body is saying I need, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced the same thing recently. I had just, I feel like around the election, you know, it was, there was just like a lot happening. There was a lot of work and a lot with the world and, you know, COVID obviously too. Mm -hmm. But I've had a moment where there was just a whole week where I was like super emotional all the time. And I really felt like I look back on that week and I felt like I just practiced self-care. Like I, I created this like cocoon for myself to yeah. just like feel all of the feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really so, it's so important. It's so important and so valuable. Yeah, definitely. And so needed. I mean, especially now with just even that short list of things you just, you just said that's it's, we all are in desperate need of self-care. Right. Like to allow yourself to cry and also to allow yourself to not do the thing that you told yourself you were going to do. Oh, exactly. I I just had this conversation with my dad because he's in BC and this is the first time in, what did he say? Like 50 years or 40 years that he has been in one place for this long. Like he's, cause he's been on tour his entire life, his entire adult life. Yeah. And, and so it's really, it just bizarre. And he's learning all these things about himself. And we were talking and he was like, I really, I I need to be writing more. I need to whatever. And I was like, maybe you don't need to be though. Like you've been touring for 50 years. Like maybe, (laughs) maybe now you just like sit still and like plant some stuff and watch the crown and make pizza or whatever. Like maybe you just, maybe you don't and you trust that you will again, you will get hit with that inspiration and you will, you will write another song. And I know him well enough to know he's like still picking up his instrument and playing all the time. It's just that sort of pressure to to put that sort of pressure on yourself is just, is just unnecessary and and unhelpful. Right. And that's you teaching him, which is interesting because of course, society models that in order to be successful, you know, you have to work and never take breaks, but it sounds like that also came from your dad who you were really close to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that that's where I get my, you know, desire to, or like drive to work really hard Yeah, is from him. But then it's also, I, I don't think that I was like necessarily like modeled to take time to have intentional moments of self-care. Yeah. I mean that, that's, yeah. It also just feels more, um, I mean, trendy isn't necessarily the word, but it feels like there's so much more conversation surrounding it now. And like, maybe there always was. And just like, now we're at the age where we are included in those conversations, it's but trendy. 
<laughs> yeah, it is. Like it, it does sort of feel more like publicized and respected, like the idea of self-care and space and boundaries. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I am so happy to be part of a, a generation that, that, that finds all those things important and makes room to discuss them. And, and, uh, you know, without saying woke, like without saying woke, right. you know, it's nice. I'm glad I like my generation. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's a good one, it but good. the next generation sort of scares me a little bit. Yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's, it's going to be an interesting time. Also, the world, you know, it's just going to, just I watched uh, David Attenborough's. Um, oh my God, I watched it too. Did you watch this? I was like, well, yeah, fifty years, guys. That's like the plea for us to care about oh, our environment. It's brutal. I cried. Oh, I cried too. I cried so much. I was like, David, we're letting you down. It's so heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It really and, is heartbreaking. And then I saw in the news, like a few days ago, that Trump is allowing the the oil drilling in Alaska in like oh my god so he's like working or trying to I don't know if it'll actually happen but trying to have these contracts signed and I just cried again it's devastating it's really it's really it's just so abusive it really is it's it's violent it's violent it's awful yeah absolutely it's just terrible yeah um, this was amazing. I, before we close, I want to hear about what you're up to now. Besides, I mean, I know that you're publicizing your book and writing songs, but I would love to hear more. Yes, of course. Um, well, we have, uh, I have the, the, uh, audio book comes out soon. Ooh, cool. Are you reading it? I'm reading it. I have read it. It's been read. That's awesome. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Um, and I'm working on. Um, I don't think I can really talk about her, her, who she is yet. But I'm, I'm writing uh, someone else's memoir now. Oh wow! And I've been working on that since January, and it's been so. Um, just I just love it because I've I feel like in the last couple of years I've really sort of fallen in love, you know, with writing in a new way and. And I really wanted to, it's just like the perfect situation because I really wanted to keep writing. And yeah. also I have no real interest to write anything else about me for a minute. And <laughs> so it was kind of like sort of perfect because I feel like I still get to flex this like new muscle that I love and, awesome. and not have to like write about my my like deepest insecurities and fears and shames. And, you know, it's nice. It feels feels freeing. Yes, totally. Have you always written in this, in this way? Like when you journal, do you, do you kind of like write almost like short stories? No. And and I've actually never been a big journaler. Like I, I, um, I have lots of journals, but they're, they're, I've never successfully had like a daily journaling practice. Like I have, I have so many journals, but they're usually like bits of songs or bits of lyrics or just like two lines and express a thing or. I think that's journaling. Yeah, I guess that's journaling. I guess in my head, my picture of a journal is like November 15th. Yeah. It's like what I used to do when I was like seven. Yes. That is my picture exclusively. (laughs) Everything else doesn't count. Um, Yeah. So I, I um, no, my, my journaling is really um, all over the place. It's like filled in with drawings and sketches of like mugs and phones and stuff. And it's not uh narrative at all, really. Um, That's but like minus, minus the songs. Really? Yeah. It's like random sketches of things combined yeah. with like stream of consciousness writing that makes zero sense. And then yes. like one line. Yes, exactly. One <laughs> line in like a person's name. Right. That's pretty much <laughs> pretty much my, my, my journaling, but it, it does sort of feel like my, like songs, probably that kind of writing led to songwriting and songwriting led to this type of writing for me. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So yeah. cool to learn that new style. Yeah. I'm so in love with it. Amazing. Okay. So I have some ending quick fire questions. Ooh, I'm excited. And this is just meant to be sort of like the first thing that pops into your mind. Oh gosh. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Some of them are like deeper than others. 
Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for okay. depth and also shallow waters. Cool. What book are you reading right now? No book. No book. Break no book. Bookless. That's awesome. Thanks. Are you watching any shows? Say that again. Are you watching any TV shows? I'm, I mean, I'm watching every TV show. I'm watching, I, I watched The Crown, the season four of The Crown um, on Monday. Oh, I mean, I'm now obsessed with the royal family. I have since, because I'm in quarantine in Winnipeg right now, because I was in yeah. New York for a week. So this week has just been like like the, the royal family studies <laughs> in, in my apartment. Like I've watched every interview of Diana, every interview of Charles. I've watched behind the scenes. I've watched interviews with the actors. I'm just, I'm all in on the royal family. What's the craziest thing you've learned? Like the oh. thing that surprised you the most? I mean, honestly, the whole thing with Diana really surprised me. I I really didn't know that much about Prince, Princess Diana. And I'm just, I just fell so in love with her. But I, I didn't know about, I didn't know how young she was when she met Prince Charles. She was 16. Oh, wow. 16 years old when she met Charles. He was 29. Wow. Like that is bananas. You know, I didn't know that she really struggled with bulimia. I didn't know. I just didn't know anything about her. And, and, um, I just, I just, I really feel for her and I uh, really love her, but I also love Charles. I really, I just feel lots for all the Royal family. I feel very <laughs> invested. <laughs> That's amazing. I feel like I have this dream of just like living in the English countryside in oh, some castle. I mean, I think you should. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next one. What was the last meal you had? Oh, the last meal I had, I'm so glad you're asking me this now and not yesterday because yesterday was like two, uh, I guess, okay, well, I'll just tell you tonight then. Uh, both now. <laughs> yesterday, I I made a really bad, um, like really healthy cookies that are just bad because I don't have <laughs> ingredients for cookies. And then I froze them into a log and then I just sliced two frozen discs out of this log of bad cookie dough and microwaved it for <laughs> For like you know, forty seconds. So they they were no longer they didn't become cookies, but they stopped being dough. You so know, they're just like what was the texture? Just like firm, warm. <laughs> like at least it was warm. It was warm, but it didn't break like any cookie you've ever had. It's like <laughs> it was not good, anyways. But my dinner tonight, I okay. wrote. I roasted a chicken a couple days ago with like sweet potatoes and carrots and onions and garlic. And I've been sort of, you know, vulturing over that carcass for the last few days in quarantine. So today I, you know, ripped a breast off and put some carrots on a thing. And, and my sister made some risotto that she brought over. So I had just like a roast, nice little roast dinner plate, pop it in the microwave, give it 10 seconds. I made a dirty martini. I had a great night. That sounds amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's delicious. When you imagine your happy place, and I put that in quotes, where yes. it? Ooh, lots of happy places. The first place that came to mind was my, it is my cabin. My siblings and I have a cabin in uh, like two, uh, two and a half hours outside of Winnipeg that um, we grew up going to. And then when my parents got divorced, they, they sort of left it to us. Um, so this summer, my siblings and I have been like, we redid the deck and we painted everything and it's right on the water and, and on Lake Winnipeg. And it really is, it's, 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 it's my, it's my happy place. We can call it my, one of my happy places. Lots of trees. Lots of trees and just right on the lake. And you know, you go canoeing and the water is just like glass, like glass still. It's just stunning. It's just absolutely stunning. You'll have to send me a picture. I will send you a picture. Please. If you could speak to yourself 15 years ago with the knowledge you have now, what would you say? Well, it is sort of the last line in my book, which is, <laughs> which is uh, do it again exactly the same for the first time. I love you. I love that so yeah. much. Thanks. And last one, since we've been talking so much about becoming undefined, what definitions do you feel are true to you? Uh, with the quick fire, uh, uh, you know, intention of this, the ones that are really true to me are sister, friend, uh, daughter, um, 
Yeah. I mean, sister honestly is like sister and friend are the loudest of them all, even louder than daughter. Although of course that is equally as true, but I really feel like my identity is wrapped into my, my being a sister. Um, and I feel like it's the role I, I most often feel in, even in my, in my work, like working with young artists and, and I, I very often feel like a, a surrogate sibling. So I'll say sister, sister's on the top of my list. I love that. And where can everyone find you? Oh, you can find me. Um, I was going to say my address in Winnipeg, but I <laughs> Maybe yes. don't say that. Not that yes. like there's millions of people listening to this podcast. But Come on over. Well, we know. know. Where are they listening? In Guam? Where did you say? Six- Saudi Arabia and India. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. So they could, you know, that's a group. Um, uh, where can you, I mean, just on all the places, on uh, on Spotify, Haley Jean Penner, you can buy my book, you know, at, at an independent bookstore near you. If you are in LA, it's at Skylight or whatever store you can call up and order it from anywhere um you know you get on apple music really on all the places where you can type in a person's name i <laughs> something i've made should pop up there and on instagram Haley jean penner cool and do you have anything else you want to tell the world since the entire world including saudi arabia is listening oh. right now <laughs> oh gosh no no i mean my my dad ends every concert with uh, this song that he sings that I'm not going to sing, but the <laughs> the sentiment is uh, take good care of each other. That's the last thing he says at every show. He goes, take good care of each other. So that's what I say to all you, take good care of each other. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was my pleasure. I loved it. Hello again. I hope that you all enjoyed that conversation. It was one of my favorites. Haley is just I feel like she just like spews wisdom. There are so many awesome nuggets in it and I hope that you all got as much out of it as I did. I will link a lot of the things we talked about, including her book and where you can find her and on Spotify. Um, I'll link all of that in the show notes as I always do. And again, thank you so much for listening. This is my eighth episode, which is pretty wild. And starting this new year off with this podcast, like up and running, I'm just really grateful for everyone who listens. It's been an awesome creative project for me and a way to put myself out there and at the same time step outside myself and just have really inspiring conversations with people that I admire. So Thank you for listening and for supporting. Remember to rate and review and download and subscribe and all of the things and share with all of your friends. Happy, happy new year. I will talk to you all in a couple weeks.